Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. The State of Recruiting is brought to you by 24-7 Sports and the Horns 24-7 Network of Podcasts. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on the podcast platform of your choice. We also invite you to listen to the other great shows on the Horns 24-7 Network, including The Flagship with Taylor Estes and Chip Brown and The Longhorn Blitz with Jeff Howe and Rod Babers. Thanks for listening. Now on to the show. Back to this week's episode of the State of Recruiting, your Orange 24-7 recruiting podcast. I'm Mike Roach, and I'm joined as always by Nick Harris. We've got a big show uh, for you today. We've got a huge news that broke just before the show. Uh, actually, it's uh, breaking the day after we recorded this, but breaks just before the show drops to you guys. Uh, but before we get into all that, Nick, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Uh, you know, the season's kind of getting into full swing, and um you know, I, I'm really excited as the season goes on, just to kind of go back and look at films. But there's already been a ton of recruits that have been putting out like two game films, which I'm all for. But I don't know if it makes sense in the long scheme of things. But no, I just the season's getting going. Shout out to those recruits. I love those people. Put out, put out your film and put them. I put it in a collection each and every week, and I will watch it. Um, it's much better than watching game by game. Here's 40 seconds, and I'm going to show you this one play four times. Just give me the, the game collections. I, I love those from recruits. Um, we've got a huge show. Uh, it's, uh, it's another week and another commitment. And we're going to start uh, there. It is a big one. Um, as Texas uh, just announced, uh, just previous to this podcast dropping, just, uh, just got a commitment from Justice Finkley. I said just a lot there, especially with the name Justice Finkley. But a huge one as Texas goes into Alabama, Right after going into Louisiana to land Jamon Tapp away from LSU, they go into Alabama to land Justice Finkley from the Crimson Tide. Uh, Nick, I mean, just in, in your opinion, how do you put this kind of into perspective of where things are with the staff and the way they're recruiting? Yeah, I mean, this staff is recruiting really well right now, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, I, I'm glad that that's starting to happen. You know, about a month ago, I was kind of worried about, you know, where things stood with defensive recruits. But, you know, all of this momentum uh, from the defensive line and edge rushers, uh, it's really going to kind of, I think, have a ripple effect throughout the entire team and throughout the entire class. Uh, I mean, Justice Finkley's commitment puts Texas in the top three in the 24-7 sports team rankings. Um, you know, that's a really good spot to be. They probably won't stick there since they have so many commits and, you know, other teams will probably have a lot more numbers to catch up on. But I mean, that puts Texas in a really good position to finish, you know, with a seven to 10 type class. Uh, but added, adding Justice Finkley out of the state of Alabama, pulling him away from the Crimson Tide. I think Tuscaloosa is only about a 45 minute drive from his home and who would trust Bill. So, you know, he grew up in Bama country. He grew up, you know, with Bama dominating most of his life and uh, he tweeted out uh, today as we're recording yesterday, as you're listening, um, that he's going to go play, you know, where the best players are. He's going to go play with the best. And, you know, he feels like Texas is that spot. 
And, you know, the staff was able to do enough to, you know, convince him that Texas was that, was that spot. And, um, you know, I'm really curious to kind of see how, you know, in, in future classes, does the staff recruit Alabama as well? Um, obviously, there are a ton of ties to the state of Alabama, you know, on this staff from, from uh, staffers that were at uh, uh, Alabama last year. Um, so obviously, you know, that was a, that played a big role in, in bringing Justice Finkley over to Austin. So, you know, that this is big in so many levels, but I think the biggest thing is just being able to pull a recruit that Alabama really wanted out from under their, you know, dang near their own hometown. So I think that's probably the biggest aspect of it. All along, you know, there was a chance for Texas because Finkley is so academically driven and he has said all along, he wants to find the best combination of, of books and ball. And I think Texas did kind of, uh, you know, present him with that. And so, you know, um, there was a, there was a, a lot of confidence from Texas, but in the end, there was a lot of caveats. There was a lot of still, you know, Hey, it's Nick Saban and anything can happen. You know, we feel good, but anything can happen from what I was told, this was kind of done mid August and they, and the staff has done a great job sitting on this. There have been no leaks from it, but basically I found out, um, I would say, I guess, uh, early this week, um, for sure what was going to happen. But by that point have been asked not to say anything, tease anything, do anything, but to, to know since mid August, really in the last couple of weeks and, and be able to sit on this, um, I think is, is big. And, and, um, you know, I, I think for, for Texas, that's kind of a good sign of things to come. It, it kind of, to me, there were times in the last staff didn't feel like the left hand knew what the right was doing in the recruiting operations. Um, this staff feels a little more aligned. I think that last last staffs, there was kind of a disconnect, especially on that last Tom Herman staff with all of the new assistants. There was kind of a big disconnect between the player personnel side and the coaches side. And I think at this point, everybody's really aligned. Um, I'll use that Tom Herman buzzword aligned um, and kind of pulling in the right direction. So I love uh, love that no leaks came out of this. When you look at Finkley, it's really clear to see what kind of he is in the future. And I think that he's probably, he's probably a three technique once he gets, hits a college uh, weight program, but I think he is quick and athletic enough to stay out and play on the strong end. He's uh, he's quick off the ball. He's really violent with his hands and he sets, you know, a great edge in the run game. And I think, you know, with, with all that said, you could see why so many schools are after him and why so many schools wanted him. This is a big one for Texas and it continues this run on the defensive line. Um, if you look back, Nick, at the four, uh, last commits on the def that basically that they've gotten in a row have all been defensive line guys, starting with Aaron Bryant, uh, who's a four-star, uh, 89 on the composite. And then Jure Bledsoe, a four-star 94 on the composite, Jamon Tapp, a four-star 94 on the composite and Justice Finkley, a four-star 95 on the composite. That's adding some serious talent and adding it at a premium position, especially when you're going to a line of scrimmage-driven league in the future like the SEC. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the thing that kind of speaks to me as well is that most of these guys are pretty versatile. Um, I think you could probably only point to maybe two or three of those defensive linemen and edge rushers that are probably, you know, stick to, you know, a certain position. And, and Justice Finkley kind of speaks to that as well. You just mentioned – um, you know, he can probably bounce off the edge or, you know, come down and put his hand in the dirt. And, you know, I feel like there's a lot of those guys uh, in that class right now, which is going to give, you know, Bo Davis a lot of flexibility whenever those guys get to campus um, and, you know, really figure out, you know, which guys, uh, you know, are, are best in certain spots and he'll be able to kind of pluck in place. You know, that's that's a luxury that not many teams have. So I think that's another really important aspect of it. 
Yep. So uh, good news all around for Texas. And um, look, man, they've got uh, now seven defensive line guys that are between defensive line, defensive tackle and edge rushers on this uh, on this uh, list. I, you know, I was told today they see Derek Brown as a guy that could kind of float between and maybe play a little inside linebacker as well as, you know, on the edge. But um, basically, they're going to have a lot of options. And look, I would say just because this commitment happened today doesn't mean that Alabama is going to stop chasing Justice Finkley. LSU is certainly not going to stop chasing Jim on tap. Maybe they lose one or two of these guys. I don't know. But, um, you know, the, the goal is to stockpile as much as you can, to stockpile as much quality as you can, and then, you know, kind of move forward. And I think that this also, it sets you up really well for 2023 because there are some really talented D-line guys in 2023, but now it's not as imperative of a position to land. You, you still want to land DJ Hicks. You still want to land Johnny Bowens if you can. You still want to land guys like that, but it's not as imperative as it once was. Yeah, and who would have thought we'd be in that position? Because I mentioned it on the podcast last week and probably the week before, uh, and I've mentioned it many times, is that the in-state crop of defensive linemen in 2022 was not fantastic. It was a little top-heavy. There's a lot of really good guys at the top. But, you know, once you start looking at the, the depth of things, there, was, there weren't that many options. And so Texas did a really good job in going out of state, grabbing elite guys. And now that doesn't really put the pressure on them as much in 2023 um, you know, in 2023, the outlook's a little bit better, I think, but it's, you know, not, not much better in my opinion. There's a lot of guys at that top level, but we haven't really seen that depth fill out just yet. We'll see as the season goes on, obviously, there's still a lot of 2023s who are barely, you know, starting to get varsity ball. Um, but, you know, that, that gives them a lot of flexibility in recruiting D linemen next year. Maybe they only take two, three, four guys next year, and that opens up the opportunity to take more defensive backs in 2023, which there's a ton of defensive back talent in 2023 in the state of Texas and especially in DFW. So, you know, this, this helps in, in multiple ways uh, in other positions. So um, that was something I was thinking about earlier in the week, Mike, is how this kind of impacts 2023 and, you know, being able to be a little bit more flexible there. And I think that's another really important aspect of it. Here's another um, kind of, I guess, underrated aspect of it or something I didn't really think about until you mentioned to me that you wanted to write something on it, but um, man, how successful was that last official visit weekend of June? It was, uh, it was kind of loaded. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Finkley's going to be the, uh, sixth or seventh commit. I, I have it written down, but not off the top of my head, uh, from that weekend, uh, to commit, um, yeah, other guys that were on that weekend were Aaron Bryant. Um, you also had uh, Jay Montab. Um, again, just kind of speaking off my mind, you also had Jalen Gilbo there. Uh, so there's also, you know, another opportunity to get another one in Arliss Boardingham was in that weekend as well. And, you know, Texas done a really good job with him. You know, if they really start to put, put the heat on him, I think they probably get him. Um, but there, there are multiple guys in that official visit weekend that, uh, yeah, I've got it. I've got to pull, I've got to pull it up here. Uh, Jamarian Miller was on that trip. Remember he came back and committed immediately. Uh, Aaron Bryant, Jay Montap, Austin Jordan, Jure Bledsoe, and then Finkley all on, all on that same trip. So yeah, a really right. successful weekend, which Nick, I think if we go back and kind of look at it, I think we looked at that weekend and thought they're bringing in a lot of out of state guys. They probably don't have a great chance with this is kind of a waste of a weekend. Um, man turned out to be the most productive one for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think probably the fact that they only got about 10 to 12 guys in that weekend, they were able to really, um, you know, prioritize certain guys and, you know, make them, you know, feel a little bit more unique and specialized throughout the weekend. And as an out-of-state target, I think that's kind of what you look for when you go to an out-of-state school. You want to see that, 
you know, it feels like home and, you know, the coaches will treat you, you know, the same way as an in-state school probably would. So I think that probably had a lot to do with it, but you know, that, that's something I'm going to kind of work on over the course of the next six months is, you know, what exactly happened that weekend that, you know, really just kind of spurned off, you know, a ton of momentum for Texas. Was it by coincidence or, you know, was it just, you know, the perfect storm of things? Because when we were talking in June, we were kind of worried about the final two weekends being, you know, not as important as the first two, just because of recruiting fatigue, you know, would the, the players be as bought into, you know, a, a week four visit after taking so many visits here in uh, the month of June, would the staff have a ton of energy to put in uh, to these guys? And it looks like that was not a problem for Texas. They were able to really capitalize on, you know, that final weekend and getting that last impression before guys went out and started thinking about things in July. So, you know, that, that weekend was really special and I look forward to, you know, writing about it tonight and you can go ahead and read it on Horns 24-7 today as, as it's posted. Um, just looking at that weekend to cap that off, that number, Arliss Borningham was on the trip, as you mentioned. I think he's an option if, for Texas if they miss on Julio Skinner. TJ Dudley was on the trip. I don't see them circling back to him. I don't see them circling back to Keanis Thompson or KJ Miles who were on the trip. Uh, but outside of that, Cameron Williams was on the, that trip. I think Texas is still on him and still feels that they could potentially flip him. Jalen Gilbo was on that trip. We mentioned Texas could get him back. And Bryce Anderson, I uh, remember, came in mid, mid-weekend for that trip after State 7-on-7. Seven seven. Um, and I think uh, Texas still feels like there's maybe something there. So, um, yeah, that, that week it could end up being incredibly fruitful. And if you want to – I don't know if you want to lump this in with the – the previous weekend or this weekend, but the Monday before that, June 21st, Jaleel Skinner took his official visit. We can group it in just for yeah. <laughs> just to drive it home. All right. Um, you know what else helps recruiting Nick is winning and it looking good while doing it. And I think that um, we're going to discuss a little bit about the Texas opener against Louisiana. You're not going to get a full game breakdown here. If you're interested in that sort of thing, I would point you to the, the Longhorn Blitz with Jeff Howe and Rod Babers or the flagship with, uh, with Taylor Estes and Chip Brown. They're going to do that. We're going to talk a little bit about the game, uh, but we're also going to talk a lot about, you know, kind of how that affects recruiting. I think it, it, it's, it comes down to something as simple as this. Recruits were, are used to seeing Texas, you know, kind of puke on their own shoes when it comes to a game like this. And, and maybe win it, but maybe not look smooth doing it. Maybe not uh, maybe making a ton of mistakes, maybe having to sweat out a team like Louisiana, who despite being ranked in the top 25, I mean, their talent level still is what it is. I think for Texas, it was almost perfect in the sense that it was a 20 point win in a game that you never really felt nervous about. And um, they kind of showed off everything they need, they have while also still illustrating that they've got needs for, for guys to come in and play early. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was at the game. I was in the stands just kind of as a spectator on Saturday. And um, first off, it was ridiculously hot. That's one of the hottest sporting events I've ever been to. So shout outs to the fans that, you know, stuck it out throughout the entire game. And especially on that visitor side, I'm sure it was brutal over there. I'd hate to tell you guys, but I was on the home side under the shade. It was it was kind of nice after I got some water in me. But um, going into the stadium, you know, there was some kind of, you know, chirps around, you know, the group that was walking into the stadium like, man, you know, this game is a little nervous. You know, I, I don't I don't quite know how this is going to shake out. And I think that that was kind of the, the feelings of most Texas fans last week is it was, it was just so unpredictable because, you know, we've been hearing great things about the staff and, um, you know, the, the new staff was obviously what Chris Del Cane wanted to put in place. Um, but also it, it's hard to ignore what's happened in the last 10 to 15 years in Texas football. Um, so, you know, how, how do you kind of weigh out the two and what ends up happening on the field? 
And, you know, Sarkeesian did everything he had to on, on Saturday. It was one of the most drama-free wins uh, of all time. Brian Davis mentioned it on Twitter, and I kind of agreed. It was the most, one of the most drama-free wins uh, in Texas football that I can remember. Um, and, you know, I think that's exactly what uh, – I, th I think that's exactly what everyone needed. Um, and you mentioned, you know, there's still uh, needs for, you know, certain positions on the field. Offensive line, I think, is definitely one. I mean, you look at a guy like Devon Campbell – would you be able to tell him, hey, you can probably go start on that offensive line next year if you really come in and put in the work and, um, you know, honor it? And I think there's a legit shot that he could if, if he were to commit to Texas. So, you know, I think that kind of gives the, t uh, the, the staff a little bit more perspective on, you know, what uh, position groups they'll really need to recruit and what position groups they'll need guys to come in and play immediately at. Um, and, you know, I think looking early on, kind of the early returns are, you know, probably offensive line and then kind of depending on what happens in the secondary with guys leaving to the NFL draft or just graduating uh, altogether, um, you know, what guys are going to be needed, needed to be placed in there as well. But, you know, I think it was really productive, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You know, Hudson Card did everything that he needed to do. I think that was probably the, the most unpredictable thing going into the game is, you know, how would the quarterbacks perform? I think both of them played great. And uh, of course, Bijan doing what he, he did was fantastic. Uh, I talked to uh, Ruben Owens, uh, and his father, you know, shortly after the game, and they really liked what they saw. And we'll, we'll get to more on Ruben Owens' recruitment here in a bit. But, um, you know, just kind of looking at the offense after one game, recruits are excited. And uh, But the thing is, it's only one game. You don't win championships on one game. They could still go 1-11 from here. So uh, we'll have to see how it kind of plays out the rest, the rest of the year. Got to keep it going. They've got to negotiate Arkansas this week. I know Arkansas is not a great team, but that's a tricky road environment for – a, a freshman starter in Hudson card. I think that uh, I'm interested to see how they kind of get out in front. I, I think anything can happen there. Um, Nick, you were at the stadium, like you said, what was uh, any impressions on the South end zone? What was the stadium atmosphere, all that? Yeah, the South end zone is, is pretty special. Um, you know, when the blueprints first came out, I guess like two and a half years ago or however long ago it was, I was like, man, this is not that special. I feel like they could have done a lot more with this, but you know, seeing it in person and, you know, as it's been constructed, I really like what they did with it. I think it's going to really bring a lot of energy into the stadium, especially for night games, um, because quite a, people know, quite a few people noticed that there weren't many people sitting in those seats uh, during the game. Now, that is a club level, so most of those fans were just off into the club, and those clubs were packed. Um, in fact, there was many player, uh, former player families that were in those clubs and in those seats, uh, and so there was, there was a lot of elderly people in, in those seats as well, so you know, they wanted to get into the uh, AC. It was, it was absolutely brutal, uh, the heat was on Saturday. But, you know, for a night game, which I think the first one will be against Rice next week, I'm really curious to kind of see how it fills out and, and what it looks like. And uh, I think that's going to be a big pitching point for, you know, recruits to be able to come in and see that uh, new south end zone just kind of paired with the rest of the stadium feel. I think it's going to be really cool, and I think it'll be an advantage moving forward. But, you know, kind of the atmosphere, it was, it was a solid atmosphere, you know. Uh, a first uh, full capacity game or about 90% capacity uh, game since, you know, before COVID. So there was obviously a lot of excitement there, especially in the student section. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm really excited, you know, as the season goes on um, to see the crowds get more, you know, into it as the, as the heat dies down. Um, but I'm kind of looking at a game like Oklahoma state in October where maybe the heat isn't as bad. And uh, that's a game where I think they'll probably sell out. And that's when you can really see the full, you know, effects of uh, the new South End Zone, the full uh, effects of full capacity at that new stadium. Uh, I think 
too, the, you mentioned the Oklahoma State game. Sounds like a game a lot of guys are circling uh, to come in for them. That's probably going to be the big one. I think the Tech game as well. Um, I know Lander Barton's going to be in for that one. You know, I've got to, I need to reach out to Malik and, and clarify with him, but um, Malik had told me that his uh, bye week was during the Oklahoma State game, and that's when he was going to come in for an unofficial. I think um, – I looked at his schedule and I think he he's just mistaken or they've got the schedule wrong. It is max preps. So who knows? Um, he does have, uh, I think the week, the week he has off on the schedule posted is the week of the Texas tech game. But I think he thinks it's the Oklahoma state game. So I need to clarify with him on that. Um, speaking of him and high school football and all that, Nick, are you ready to uh, get into our high school football segment? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, all right, let's uh, let's go on with the picks first. Do you want to do you want to do that? Do you have uh, how we did last week? I didn't write the games down, so I'll have to go back and look at it. Um, but I do remember a certain pick that was made. Or hold on, I got them right here. We had Lake Travis and Converse Judson last week. I think we both took Lake Travis. We both yes. Um, didn't Ryan and didn't Geyer. I took Ryan. You took Geyer, so you got one on me there, uh, which was a really good overtime game that didn't Geyer was able to pull out fourteen to seven. Um, we also had uh, Westlake and Euless Trinity, and I took. We both took Westlake, but if you remember, I said I don't think it's going to be close. I got Westlake by twenty. The final score thirty-four to fourteen. So okay, so you get the double that, points for that. Okay. Um, and then I forget where our fourth game was. It's on a different list. And then we both had Argyle Pleasant Grove. Uh, we both took Argyle there. Um, I'm forgetting what our fourth game is, but we'll have to go back. I'm we had sure. Alan Alan Atascasita. Oh yeah, we both lost. Yeah, we both did pick Allen that one. I guess we're even. We'll talk a little bit about that one. Um, all right, uh, so what are our games we're picking this week? All right, so uh, our first game, um, a little uh, West Texas versus DFW action. Midland Legacy, formerly known as Midland Lee, will be coming in to play Arlington Martin on Friday night. Who you got in that one? That one's tougher than it sounds like on the surface. I think Legacy has some real talent. And I'm interested to see, you know, I think a lot of their talent, too, is, is on the offensive side of the ball. Michaela Young, who I like to call Quadzilla at running back, has been tearing it up. Uh, Chris Brazel at receiver has been awesome. But I think that Martin's defensive line, particularly their defensive line, but their defense as a whole has been really smothering this year so far. I am going to roll with, uh, with the Warriors in this one. Yeah, I'm going to do the same thing. Um, you know, Martin looked really good last week against Hebron after falling to Lake Travis in week one. And even against Lake Travis in week one, they were hanging around in the first half. But, um, you know, Lake Travis just had more weapons in the second half to pull away. And the home crowd definitely helped there. I think Martin wins a close one. I think this is closer than people will expect. I think Middle and Legacy is a really good team that could uh, make a deep playoff run. But I'm taking Martin as well. I for sure think it will be close. Like I would be surprised if it's a blowout. Like that's why I had kind of trouble picking it was because I think it, it will come down to maybe one possession. This has like 47, 44 written all over it. Yeah. Or it's either that or like 15 to 10. <laughs> yeah. No in between. It's one of the, one of the two extremes. Yeah. Um, our second game, uh, we have Euless Trinity and Colleyville Heritage. Now Euless Trinity um, is a team that has been looking pretty good so far out of DFW and 6A. Now, in 5A D1, Colleyville Heritage has been running up the score on teams. They are really strong. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people are liking them in 5A D1. So who do you like? 
I I got to go Trinity and a bounce back from Westlake here, just being the bigger school, uh, being a 6A school. And, and I like Trinity a lot, just based on Ollie Gordon. I think that I, there's some weapons that at Heritage that are really interesting. Um, the Hogan Watson, I think, is like one of the more undervalued players in the state at receiver. Uh, Isaac Chabay at running back. They've got Dylan McKinney at, at at the corner, but they Hogan Watson might be this guy, but I'm not convinced he is. I know Ollie Gordon is the guy to like take over a game. So I'm going to roll with Trinity. Um, you, you know, Trinity only losing by 20 points to Westlake last week, I think is a positive because I think yeah. West miles better than a lot of teams uh, in the state. So that kind of shows that they're at least in the same ballpark. I think this will be a really close game. I think Colleyville Heritage very well could win it but I'm going to take Trinity. Uh, like you said, Ollie Gordon is that dude. I think he's going to kind of pull away uh, and, and make that, make that a difference maker. We hope you're enjoying this week's episode of The State of Recruiting. We'll be back with the second half after a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Our third game, um, this one's interesting. Uh, there's a lot of uh, bad blood between these two teams down in the Houston area. Um, if you're in the Houston area, you might be a little aware. Uh, Galena Park North Shore and Spring Westfield. Who do you have in this one? I've been thinking about this one for a while. I thought I thought about it early this week when I saw it was that week, and trying to figure out do I I, I I'm never going to be as familiar with Houston teams as I am with Dallas teams. I just don't. I'm not around them as much, and so I never will. But in my head, I'm thinking. This is when North Shore gets handed a regular season loss. Um, I like a lot of the things Westfield. For one, Westfield is a team that anytime they take the field, they're never scared to play anybody. doesn't matter if it's North Shore, Duncanville, whoever it is, they're there to play. Um, I love Anthony Holmes on the defensive line. And I like Cardell Williams a lot too at quarterback. I'm going to go, I'm going to pick the, I, I would assume pick the upset and go with uh, Spring Westfield. You're going to go with Westfield. Okay. That's interesting. Um, you know, I'm also going to go Westfield here. I thought I'd be in the, in the minority here, but it turns out we're both taking Westfield. Um, I think there's a lot of 2022 talent on that team. I think that's really going to be the difference maker. North Shore is still kind of figuring out, you know, how they're going to be replacing certain guys from last year's team, especially, you know, Demetrius Davis being one, Shattered Banks being another and a couple key guys up front on the offensive line. So I think Anthony Holmes probably takes advantage of that up front. And uh, I think Westfield probably wins like a 21 to 18 type game. I, I, I'm going to take Westfield as well. I think, um, um, I think this one could end up looking a lot like that Geyer uh, Ryan game like this. Um, to me, North shore strength is their defense and it's still an incredibly talented defense, but I do think they're still figuring out some things offensively. So um, I think it could be like a low scoring and maybe even going to overtime. I'm going to give you an option for our fourth and final big school game of the week. You, you can choose here, Mike. 
We got Lake Travis and Rockwall or Longview and Tyler Legacy. Hmm. I almost want to go Lake Travis and Rockwall just to put you to the test. Um, <laughs> you know what? Let's go. Whew. That Longview Tyler Legacy game feels like an almost impossible game to pick for me. Um, let's go Lake Travis Rockwell. All right. Who do you got? I'm going to, based off what I heard of, right? Rockwall has been a tale of two teams in two weeks, right? Like week one, they roll into Cedar Hill and they beat them, but they don't look great doing it. Uh, from what I understood and Braden Locke turned the ball over quite a bit. And then the next week, Braden Locke just comes out and scorches everybody. Um, Lake Travis, pretty consistent team, team that, uh, you know, handled, like you said, Arlington Martin, which I think is a pretty good team. I got to go with Lake Travis here. Are they, is that one, uh, where's that at? That's at the Wilk. I was going to mention that it's one of the, you know, toughest home environments in the state. Is it, uh, can we quantify that? (laughs) It definitely is. It definitely, especially a rock wall crowd there. Southlake went into Rockwell last year and lost. Are we just talking from a noise perspective? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And the PA that screams where you can hear them in Roy City. Okay. All right. I'll take your word for it. I've only been there once, and it was a Rockwell Heath home uh, playoff game, but it rained, and so nobody was was in the stands. I'm sure the Heath faithful was not that strong when you went and saw them. Was it for Deshaun Elliott? It was last week. It was last year when I went to see – uh, it was round one of the that team uh, playing against Garland. You're right. You're right. I forgot you went there for that. It was like pouring rain, so like a lot of people decided not to make the trip. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. I'm going to take Rockwell here. Um, I think the home crowd does make a difference. And uh, I think Rockwell wins a very close one. That being said, I do think Lake Travis is the better team, but I think Rockwell pulls this, pulls this one out as in a, in a win. Um, now our small school game of the week, which is, you know, uh, what we do 4A and below. I had Guy Frazier pick it for us this week because I was kind of scrambling to find one. And he picked Waco La Vega and Austin LBJ for us. Who do you got, Mike? I have next to no clue what either of those teams has this year. Like, I'm only picking this based off reputation, I guess. Um, where's that game at? That game is <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> Um, pause, pause, pause. We could certainly figure this out. Hold on, uh, I got it right here. I'm it looking. Is in, uh, it is in Austin. Okay, that changes my changes my mind a little bit. La Vega is going to have to deal with that pain in the ass trip up 35. They'll probably be <laughs> angry when they get there, uh, but not the good kind of angry. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with LBJ. Okay, interesting. I'm gonna take La Vega. I think there's too many athletes on that team. I think uh, LBJ is also replacing a lot. Um, you know, this actually gave me a good idea. I'm going to have Guy Frazier pick our games from now on. I think that'll kind of make it a little bit more interesting. Oh, yeah. We'll be picking a lot of DISD games, it sounds like. <laughs> we'll have uh, Seagoville and, um, you know, Wilmer Hutchins here in a couple of weeks probably. So Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, Nick, uh, let's, uh, let's hear about your trips last week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's see, last Thursday um, – I went and stayed pretty close to home, went to see my alma mater, Rockwell Heath, at Wilkerson Sanders Memorial Stadium that we mentioned uh, a little a second ago. And uh, they played South Lake Carroll, and it was a really, really good one. Heath had them, you know, they had them beat in the second half, and they, they just gave it up. 
blew an 18 point lead in the final two quarters. Southlake scored with uh, about a minute and a half left to go up 36, 35. And then Heath, uh, their offense, which is going to be one of the best offenses in the state this year, drove right down the field and had a, a chip shot field goal to win the game and had it blocked. Uh, they had all three of their field goals blocked on Thursday night. So I'm pretty sure I knew, I know what they were doing in practice this past week. Um, but nevertheless, you know, I was able to see a lot of guys that I've been wanting to see uh, in their junior and senior se junior and Caesar seasons. We can start with uh, Caden Anderson, the quarterback at Southlake Carroll. Um, Caden, you know, stepped in for Quinn Ewers in week one, um, you know, not long after Quinn decided to make the jump to Ohio State. You know, this is a guy we're really keeping an eye on moving forward. I think this is a 2023 quarterback that, you know, could really make some noise in a class that, you know, not many quarterbacks have really separated themselves in the class. I think if we're talking about quarterbacks that have separated themselves. It's probably just Jackson Arnold from Denton Geyer uh, being that guy so far. I think Bo Edmondson's probably in that second tier along with Caden Anderson. Um, you also have guys like Jake Strong in the DFW area, and there's others across the state. But, you know, Caden Anderson, you know, he has the potential to do that. He has a really good frame, really good mechanics. He's really patient, uh, despite, um, you know, only having two games of varsity experience. And uh, while he didn't look too good in the first half, um, the Southlake offense just couldn't get going in the first half. In the second half, he really turned it up. He was able to find Landon Sampson quite a bit. RJ Maryland got involved late in the second half as well. Um, you know, that, that's a really good offense at the end of the day. I think that's a team that if they do take a step back, it's not far uh, from losing Quinn Ewers. Uh, and then on the other side of the ball at Rockwall Heath, um, really liked what I saw from Josh Hoover. Um, you know, he's really efficient throughout the night. The quarterback committed to Indiana. Um, he was really efficient in finding his guys and probably, you know, I think this might be a bit of a bold prediction, but I think the number one receiver this year is going to be Jordan Neighbors at, at Rockwell Heath. I don't think it's going to be Jay Fair. If we're talking receiving yards at the end of the year, I'd like to look back and see. Uh, but Jordan has been really effective through two games. You can kind of tell that he's taken another step in his game since last year. And he was already, you know, pretty solid at that point. And uh, I remember talking to him at a playoff game right after they beat Bridgeland, I believe, in the second or third round last year. And uh, I was like, who's offered you so far? I had forgotten at the time. He said it was just Illinois State. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. Um, you know, as the offseason went on, he picked up a ton of attention and ended up committing to Baylor. And, you know, I think in effect of that, I think he's kind of a late riser type guy to, you know, maybe that low, high three-star, low four-star tier. Um, so maybe we'll see, you know, a ton of recruiting attention come his way this fall. I think that's definitely one to keep an eye on as Texas fans. Uh, and then Jay Fair, the other receiver uh, on the Rockwell Heath offense, he's committed to Auburn, still looks really good. Um, you know, his route running is, is pretty special. He can, he can get it done in a, a lot of different ways. Um, and then Zach Evans, the running back committed to Minnesota, really impressed me as well. Um, that's someone who came off an ACL injury in the playoffs last year, recovered in about four to five months and was full speed uh, in, in time for summer and fall camp. So, um, you know, he's really dedicated to the game and you can kind of tell that in, in his weight room processes. He's up to 5'11", 205 right now, looks really good. Um, so, you know, I'm really excited to see what that offense does this year. Now on Friday, I'm in the trip. No, 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 no. Time out. Time out. I wish we were on the video podcast this week, Nick. I wish we were. I am not going to let you get away from that game without talking about it. Um, let me set the stage for you. I'm going to go ahead and tell you about my Thursday night. My Thursday night, I did not go to a game. I went to the uh, Dave Campbell's uh, watch along. We watched a great game between uh, Bridgepoint and Dickinson. And 
our friend Gabe Brooks, he does a thing every week where he's a big Carthage guy. And every time Carthage wins, as soon as the game's over, he sends us the Carthage logo. And it's something I look forward to every week. And, you know, one thing I appreciate about Gabe, he's never sent it early. And that includes the state championship game when Carthage was up like 70 to 14. He waited until the final whistle, uh, even though it was very clear Gilmer wasn't coming back. So as you mentioned, Nick, Heath got out to a big lead. And I wish we were on the video podcast. I would show everybody this. Um, And what I'm holding up is Nick sending me the Rockwall Heath H at 8.53 p.m. That's the timestamp. 8.53 is like early third quarter. It has to be. 35 to 10, I think, at that time. Early third quarter? Something like that. It was against like 35, a, and 35, 18 maybe. Against a team like Southlake. And I knew it the moment we were on the live stream. The moment he said it, I said, Nick just screwed Rockwall Heath. They should, <laughs> they should tar and feather him in a public square for this, uh, for this prediction. And sure enough, we followed that score for the rest of the evening. And I, you could just, oh, Southlake scored again. They've cut it to 18. Oh, they cut it to 10. And I was just like, this another is another point the entire night. And, and what Nick had three field goals blocked or three extra points or something. Three field goals, yeah. Man, that's a tough one for you. That's a, t- <laughs> a week after going to two different stadiums. That's a tough one. Yeah, yeah, it's been a rough couple of weeks. I, I haven't had the greatest luck. We're gonna look to bounce back this week. <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't even call that luck, Nick. Like you tempted the football <laughs> gods. That's a rule. <laughs> Um, it's not like, oh man, I had this pick and like everything was going to happen. And then it just, something went wrong out of my control. It's like you, you had the pick and then you were standing there like waving your finger in the football God's face being like, I told all of you. And then this is, they struck you down. Like it's, you got to blame yourself for this one. I won't hold you accountable for the three stadium thing. That's can happen to anybody. You got to take some responsibility on this one. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I definitely jinxed it in a certain sense, I think. Also, shout out to Ashley Pickle, who, like, as soon as the game ended and we knew Southlake had won, uh, Gabe Brooks was like, you should send the H back to him. And Pickle was like, send it upside down. And I said, yeah, but an H upside down is just an H. So, I don't know. Um, Anywho, all right. uh, Go ahead. Go ahead with Friday. Uh, Friday, I made the trip down to El Campo to see five-star running back uh, Ruben Owens who uh, was committed to Texas for a short bit during the spring and summer um, and is still, you know, pretty interested in Texas. We'll talk about the game first. So they played a full sheer team that is currently 5A Division II. Uh, El Campo is 4A Division I. But the enrollment numbers at full sheer right now are good enough to be a 6A school. So it was a bit of a mismatch uh, in that sense. There were a ton of kids at full sheer. Um, they had a ton of depth, and they were just a better team. Overall, uh, I believe they ended up winning by 20 to 27, maybe. It was one of those two. Um, and, you know, the offensive line for El Campo just couldn't really do anything uh, throughout the night. The, the defensive line at uh, full shear was really strong. And so Ruben Owens was fighting off tacklers pretty much as soon as he was handed the ball. Um, that being said, I, I encourage everybody to go back and look at the film. Um, he was shaking guys off. You know, the first tackler, he was shaking them off. But the second guy was right there as well. I don't think he was able to bust a run for more than probably 10 to 15 yards throughout the night. Uh, but he was, you know, consistently breaking tackles and, you know, trying to get as many yards as he could, whether it be four, five, six, whatever. He probably ended up with somewhere in the 50 to 60 range off of about 10 to 15 carries. So, you know, overall, not really a productive night. But, 
you know, go back, look at the film, see what you think, and, uh, you know, come back a, a next week and, and s- s- see if you have uh, any thoughts on it. But um, talking about his recruitment, um, you know, Texas never really took their foot off the gas after he decommitted. Um, and he was open about it right after he decommitted that Texas was still his number one school. Um, he just really wanted to see, you know, other schools and what they had to offer. You know, and, and in retrospect, I think that's, that's fact. Um, that was fact whenever he told us, and I think that's fact now. I think Texas is the leader in that recruitment. I upped my crystal ball confidence this week from a one to a seven. Um, you know, as long as Texas, you know, stays in this one and, and, you know, stays pretty proactive, I think they ended up winning this one out in the end. Uh, he really likes the offensive production from, you know, Bijan Robinson in, in game one. He really liked what he saw there. And, um, you know, he's got a great relationship with Brandon Harris, Stan Drayton, Steve Sarkeesian, and, you know, the rest of the offensive staff. So the, all the cars are kind of playing into Texas's favor here. He's a kid that wants to go to Texas. So, um, you know, there's a lot of things just playing into their favor. Uh, I'd probably put Georgia as the number two right now, though. Um, he has a really good re- relationship with Kirby Smart. There's, uh, you know, obviously a lot of running back production to pitch if you're, you know, a Georgia coaching staff member uh, over the course of the last two decades. And we can go back even further than that. Um, you know, Georgia has been a running back factory for a long time. So they've been able to pitch that as well. That's really intrigued Owens. Um, and then Texas A&M is always going to be right there as well. That's, that's another school that, you know, some people in the family really like and, uh, you know, a school that Ruben Owens really likes. Uh, LSU is going to be in there, USC. But, you know, if we're looking at it right now, I think Texas has a pretty good lead. Um, and as long as they stay in this one and, you know, stay proactive about it, I think they can end up winning it, uh, winning it out in the end. All right. Um, and you didn't do a game Saturday, I don't think, right? You were going to go somewhere, and I think I talked you out. Or, you no, know, that was this week. You were going to go to – I think we thought uh, uh, Hero Canoes team was going to be in town. And I did, Nick, see the uh, pictures of Nolan Catholic headed out on the airport today on Twitter. So I think you're good there. Um, all right, so Thursday, like I mentioned, I did the Dave Campbell's Watch Long. Friday, got to see a little Texas high school football history – and I knew it going in. Like, I was like, man, I told everybody there. I was like, I picked against Allen or picked against Tassasita, knowing like they're probably going to prove me wrong. But I tried to pick them last year and they made me look bad. Um, man, in my heart, I wanted to go with the Tascasita because I know that this is the year that Allen's kind of ripe for the picking. First year under Chad Moore is still trying to get that program, like, kind of in his image. And, uh, man, it, it, it what started off be a really close game that Allen took control of in the second quarter. And literally they let a Tascasita drive down the field by being in prevent the second quarter. And on the last play of the half, Gavin session hooks up with, with the newest sensation in the state of Texas, Chase soul um, for a touchdown with no time left. And that gave out Tascasita a halftime lead. And they came out of the, the locker room taking zero prisoners at, after that. Um, they, they, it was a big win. I can't remember off the top of my head. I want to say it was like 41 to 20 or 42, 20 or something like that. Um, but man, a lot of great performances in that game. Chase soul, the, the receiver is a guy that I think is, is going to be the fastest uh, probably fall riser of any wide receivers out there. I mean, he's six, one, six, two, he's a baseball athlete. He runs well, he catches the ball. Well, like he's going to be able to play both in college but he's a guy that we largely didn't know a lot of because he hasn't gone to a lot of camps or anything like that. And I was thinking about it. You know, I didn't see him at Atascacita when I went out there in the spring. And if I recall, they were playing baseball when I was out there. There was a game going on. So he was probably over there and not at spring football practice, uh, which is probably why I didn't see him. Um, 
uh, loved everything I saw to him. Cam Dewberry, the, the Texas target, was there as well. I thought he had a really strong game, lined up on, on DJ Hicks and, and did a really good job against him for most of the game. DJ did have his uh, his few moments. He did uh, – <laughs> the best was when they just chose not to block him on one play, and um, they released, like, the tackle to the second level, and he just kind of threw the guard aside, grabbed the, grabbed the quarterback by the back of the shoulder pads and just threw him down. Um I mean, he he's still in a game where I think he, he was a little frustrated going against Cam Dewberry. I think I was told Hicks finished with like eight or nine tackles and three or four tackles for loss. So still not a bad evening. Um, and then Nato Umiozulu was, uh, you know, he had a solid game. I, nothing stood out. I didn't notice him, which is probably great for an offensive lineman. Um, he didn't really make any mistakes, but there was nothing. I didn't feel he was as dominant as Dewberry was up front. Uh, man, Atascacita has got some guys that the soul kid I love Gavin session. I really didn't know a lot about, I'd seen him in practice and thought, okay, he's a nice quarterback. He really blew me away. Um, threw for like through for 300 and ran for a hundred. So we had 400 total yards. I mean, he was everywhere and a gamer tough. And man, I just, I, I loved everything about seeing that kid. So, um, it was a, it was a fun night. Allen's uh, home streak ends at 122 and Oh, and I think they had a 55 game regular season winning streak that they were up against. So, um, man, what a, what a, what a tough, tough way for it to fall. Uh, Nick, where are you headed this week? Uh, this week on Thursday, I am headed down to the Houston area to check out Katie made Creek and Aldine Nimitz. Uh, I'm going for one purpose and one purpose only. It is to see 2023 corner uh, Tayshawn Wilson at Maid Creek. Um, he's a guy that kind of blew up uh, over the summer camp circuit. He went out to a few college camps and did well enough to earn an offer. And Texas was one of those camps he went out to and picked up an offer from. Um, so going to be able to go lay on uh, lay eyes on him for the first time, see him in person. Um, you know, I guess an Aldi Nimitz team that I think he should probably have a lot of success against. So uh, really excited to see him in person and meet him. And then on Friday, uh, me and Andrew Hattersley from our Texas A&M side are making the long trip out to Odessa to see uh, Odessa Permian and Amarillo Tuscosa. Uh, this is a game I've had circled for a long time. I'm really excited to go out there and see it at Ratliff Stadium, uh, one of the more historic stadiums in, in Texas high school football. Uh, hoping the game is good. I think maybe Tuscosa beats up on him a little bit, but I'm hoping not. I'm hoping, you know, it's a competitive game. Uh, but going out to see 2023 four-star offensive lineman Harris Sewell, who I believe is still ranked the number one offensive lineman in the state of Texas for the class of 2023. Um, and he's going to be matched up with a uh, four-star defensive lineman in 2023, Avion Carter from Tuscosa. So I'm really excited to see that matchup and how it plays out. You know, those are two guys that Texas has offered and two guys Texas would really like to like to land. Um, so I'm excited to see those two guys. And then just kind of looking around the field, uh, Major Everhart, the 2022 running back at Tuscosa, uh, he's getting attention from TCU, Penn State, um, and some other schools as well. Excited to see him in action. I've heard he can absolutely fly. Um, he even be beat Brennan Thompson in a, in a track meet early in the track season this year. So this is a guy that really has some some high quality speed. So excited to see him in action, and uh, you know, hopefully excited to see a really good game. And then uh, Saturday, I'm staying home and watching college football. He made my list. Uh, Major Everhart did five guys. Texas should be evaluating this uh, this fall for an offer. Um, 
All right. Thursday for me, I'm going to, was going to originally go out to Frisco as we detailed on the show last week. I have gone to war with Frisco ISD. It doesn't even matter because I was going to go see Evan Stewart tomorrow and he just tweeted that he will not be partaking in the game. Some stuff going on there. I can't get into cause I haven't totally confirmed it yet. Um, but yeah, uh, I think uh, some, some issues going on with the team there. I am however, going out to Forney, uh, we're going to see Forney, the Jackrabbits, against Texas High. Uh, Derek Brown, the the Texas commit, will be in action. And then uh, uh, another guy I love at Texas High is TJ Gray, the 2024 receiver. I'm excited to see him. Uh, and then Friday, Nick, I'm headed out of town again, going back out west uh, to Las Vegas for the Polynesian Classic. I'll be there Friday. Uh, there's two games that day. I'm going to see uh, Desert Pines in Las Vegas and Orem. Desert Pines home to four-star running back Javante Barnes. Um, Texas, even though Javante Barnes did release the top 12 with Texas in it, Texas is not really, uh, pushing there at this point, but, um, it is the, uh, the first game. So the second game, uh, is the one we're really interested in seeing, and that's Liberty versus modern day. Of course, we'll see, uh, for Liberty, the guy like, uh, or Anthony Jones, the Texas commit. And then for modern day guys like Owen Carey is CJ Williams. And, uh, they've got some young talent I'm, I'm interested in as well. So, uh, we'll see kind of how that all plays out. And then Saturday I will be home. Uh, I think my plane lands like 10 30 AM in Dallas. So I'll be back uh, in time to really catch the full slate of college football. Uh, it was this weekend, the Polynesian classic. I, I guess I just kind of blank on that. That's awesome though. Yeah, I'm in and out quick. I'm uh, up uh, up and back in uh, less than 24 hours. I think I land in Vegas at uh, like 8.50 a.m. on Friday morning, and I leave Vegas at like 6 a.m. Saturday morning. So not even 24 hours. Do you have a fancy meal somewhere or anything? you have anything planned? So I think Blair Angulo, our uh, mountain guy, is going to be there with me. Uh, Blair and I – we were we were introduced to uh, a taco place out there by Brand, one Brandon Huffman um, called Tacos El Gordo. It's an incredible uh, taco place in Vegas. And so Blair and I, Blair and, and Huffman used to go. And then one year Huffman took me and then he was like, you can't tell Blair because this is like our spot. Um, and so I told Blair. So now it's like Blair and I are going to go um, and, and really just rub it in for, for Brandon. So uh, that's the plan. Just get a quick tacos El Gordo after the game and or maybe before the game. Who knows? Um, all right. Uh, let's go on to the mailbag. As always, you can get your questions in to the Horns 24-7 message board um, when we put the thread up. you got to be a, a Horns 24-7 user to do that unless your name is Charles Daniels. I love, by the way, if any of you hear these dings in the background, I don't know if you can hear them or not. I I, lo- I just love that, like, all my group texts rev up whenever, um, like, we get on the podcast. I just get a million text messages during that time. I've got one that's just literally every two seconds a, a text is coming in, and I'm about to put it on mute. Um, all right. Now that I got that off my chest, uh, let's go with our first question. Uh, from Red Wings, EKO28. Uh, do either of you see Texas getting any new commits out of Louisiana? I So I talked about this week that I think Louisiana is worth the fight for Texas. I think it's a place that they haven't invested in as much as they should have in the past. And it's worth getting into some battles, even if you lose them, to establish a footprint there. They've got a lot of targets there. And I think that if you look at guys like um, Jacoby Matthews and Shaz Preston, um, you know, they've already got Jim on tap. So I think that it's worth fighting those battles um, and really coming out of it strong uh, and trying to land those guys. I can't, I'm not here to tell you they're going to get 
Uh, Jacoby Matthews and Chaz Preston, but I think they'll be in both of those recruitments till the very end. Yeah, I agree. I don't know about getting any more commits out of Louisiana, but you can bet that this staff will be heavily involved with many guys in Louisiana. There's so many uh, ties to the boot on this staff uh, with multiple staffers, not just Terry Joseph, the cornerbacks coach, uh, New Orleans native. Um, you know, there's many ties around the state on that staff. So Texas is going to be, you know, a, a, they're going to have their foot in Louisiana as long as this, uh, as long as the staff is around. So, um, you know, they're going to push really hard in 2022 for Shaz Preston, Jacoby Matthews. Um, you know, they already got Jamon Tapp and Ronald Lewis. Um, so, yeah, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see another commit come on board from the boot. All right. From D. Kinneman, I'm glad he asked this question because I want to address it here. And hopefully uh, I've addressed it in a couple of threads, but I know not everybody sees every thread. So hopefully hearing it here on the podcast helps. Do we have a firm number for total recruits that UT could take? I'm working on that, but I do not have a handle on numbers as of right now. Um, obviously, they do. And I don't think they're worried about it. They've got a, a department that handles that it's run by, uh, by Billy Glasscock. They have a good handle of what the numbers are, what they can take, what attrition looks like and all those sorts of things. I don't have that number as of right now. So uh, as soon as I have it, I'll probably write it in something uh, or, or at least hint at it, but I don't right now. Uh, Nick, do you want to add anything there? Yeah. Cause uh, coming out of the, coming out of June, I believe that we were pretty firm on 25 being that number. Um, and I think that's kind of been the number for most of the class, but you know, we're already sitting at 21 and uh, I believe it's 21 now with Finkley in. So, you know, the, there's going to be way more than four spots that are going to be used in this class. So maybe we're looking at the 27 to 30 range now, but you know, like Mike said, that's still something we're working on and we'll be sure to get to. All right. Um, from uh, it's Jeremy P who could you see potentially shutting down the recruitment earlier uh, than you thought? Uh, also, where does Texas stand with Quincy Wiggins right now? And if Texas were to land Finkley, um, thanks guys. Uh, Mike, I hope your wife's doing better. Thank you. Um, so he was asking about a 2023 kid who could pull the trigger earlier than normal. I think Ruben Owens said he's, um, announcing at the all American game, right? Yes, but he is a little bit of a wild card. Yeah. He's my pick. Like there's no way he makes it to the next all American game, um, to shut it down early. Uh, and then look, They've got seven guys on the D-line. If Quincy Wiggins or Omario Bohr want in, I think that they will make room. Right now, they don't seem to have any – they're all gas, no brakes on taking guys who can pressure the quarterback. Um, and, and Wiggins and, and can certainly do that. So, I think Texas is, is behind Bama and LSU, who will both likely you know have to turn up the heat even more, losing out on these two guys that they thought they had. Um, so, I don't think Texas gets Wiggins, but in the event that they do – uh, I, I think they would absolutely take him. Yeah. Um, I think another 2023 recruit to kind of keep an eye on is Johnny Bowens, the defensive lineman from Converse Judson. Um, rumor has it that he's closing in on a top three. Um, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty tight considering he's a 2023 recruit. Um, so, you know, I can see his recruitment kind of speeding up and maybe shutting down, um, you know, in the spring, there's going to be a lot that are, you know, shutting down in the spring, but that's one that I could probably point to that I think for sure will. Um, and yeah, Texas makes room for Quincy Wiggins if, if they, if they have to, and uh, same with the Mario board, uh, from CR horn fan, 1057 gut feeling on how the O-line class shakes out number of commits, uh, et cetera. I think it's four to five. It depends on who they can get. I think they're going to get to Von Campbell. I've been pretty strong on that. Um, and this is going to answer, I'm just going to go ahead and answer the next question. Tell me something good about O-line recruiting from old man, zero, three, two, three, five, oh. 
Um, I think they're going to get Devon Campbell. Going into the year, Devon Campbell was maybe the most important prospect in the class, certainly the most important prospect on the offensive line, and I think Texas has led wire to wire for him. And I think they're in a really good position to land him. Um, I think that this stat, this class kind of shakes out with them landing Devon Campbell and they figure out the tackle position, whether that be landing Ernest Green, whether it be finding a guy like a senior riser, whether it be flipping somebody like Cam Williams, I think they figure it out. Um, so I'm going to go with four guys and, and say that that fourth spot outside of Campbell is, is still kind of to be determined. Yeah. Just kind of adding on, I think that fourth spot definitely is reserved for a, a true tackle. And if it's not Cameron Williams, then, um, you know, they probably evaluate some guys here in the, uh, uh, here in the fall, uh, you know, 2022 guys that really, you know, emerge. I think Austin Kowecki is maybe somebody to keep an eye on from Frisco Lebanon Trail. I believe he's committed to Oklahoma State at the moment. Um, so, you know, maybe that's a guy to keep an eye on. But, you know, that tackle body will definitely be used for that fourth spot if Devon Campbell uh, were to commit. And something good about online recruiting, you know, like you said, Devon Campbell, I think that's Texas's to lose. All right. Um, another guy I love is, is Bray Lynch at Westlake. Like, just go ahead and take all uh, all the Westlake uh, offensive linemen you can. Um, all right. Uh, from Horns247, our namesake. Uh, first question, what is the dream finish to the recruiting class from your perspective? Curious as to who you guys think are the best players we were recruiting and what positions are most needed to fill. And are there certain positions that are more typically loaded in the transfer portal? Is O-line one of them? Uh, I'll go ahead and knock the second question out right now. The transfer portal, we don't really know until the offseason, until guys kind of jump in there. Like, it's not popping right now, or else I think they would have made some additions if, if it really had something. So we won't really know that until the offseason. Um, the dream finish, I think, would be you add Evan Stewart and uh, Brendan Thompson and maybe Shaz Preston. You add Ernest Green and Devon Campbell. Um, I'm going to leave off Quincy. I mean, I know it's an absolute dream finish scenario. I'm going to leave off anybody else on the defensive line. Uh, maybe you had Lander Barton, uh, uh, Denver Harris, and, uh, you know, find a safety, be it Larry Turner Gooden or Jacoby Matthews or Flip Bryce Anderson, whatever. That's the dream finish for Texas. Yeah, so I was about to say, and probably flip two or three recruits from, you know, guys that you've already lost to, whether it be Larry Turner Gooden, Bryce Anderson, Kelvin Banks, Cameron, Cameron Williams. Um, but uh, yeah, that would definitely be a dream finish along with the guys that Mike mentioned. I think, you know, I think a true dream finish would be to get the guys that they want at the receiver position. Um, because I think if you ask me, that's the thing I'm probably worried a little bit about right now. Um, Evan Stewart, a little bit of a wild card. I think, you know, Texas certainly has a shot, but so do the other three schools in his figurative top four to five. Um, Shaz Preston, you know, Texas is right there in that mix, but it's kind of the same thing. Uh, so are the other three schools in his top four. Brennan Thompson, same thing. Texas is in that mix. But if they lose out on all these guys, you know, where do they look at receiver? I think a dream finish would mean that they do everything that they need to do at the receiver position and then land Denver Harris. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. I think if they did that, regardless of I – mean, there's people who are still going to be mad on O-line. But if they just did that, I mean, it's it would be hard to – Hard to, uh, to argue. Um, from HornsFan7612, is there anyone you are watching uh, to either commit to Texas, decommit from Texas, or flip from another school to Texas? I think if you're talking flips, and this is something I'm probably going to do maybe in the stampede, depending on how the weekend goes. Um, I think if you're talking flips, I like 
I'm, I'm starting to like their chances more of flipping Cam Williams based on what I've heard um, from Oregon, the Duncanville offensive tackle. And, um, you know, we're, we've always been on watch for Larry Turner Gooden to, to make the flip as well. So that's what I'm watching. Yeah, absolutely. Larry Turner Gooden, he has two official visits scheduled in the fall, one to Penn State, one to Texas. I think that's probably the best shot that Texas has at flipping somebody. And, you know, you mentioned Cameron Williams. Um, trying to think of any other that are kind of, you know, maybe off the wall a little bit. They're going to still, you know, keep in contact with Bryce Anderson and do everything that they can to possibly get back in that one, but not really thinking of anybody else right now. Maybe if they make like a late offer to a guy like Austin Kowicki that I mentioned earlier, then maybe they flip somebody like that. Kind of like how they did with Ronald Lewis and flipping his commitment from Colorado. So we'll kind of have to wait and see on that. From R Serta 29, who are the top O-line targets in 2023 and where does Texas stand with them? I'll be honest with you. It is not a great O-line class in 23 um, at all in the state of Texas. I mean, you've got Harris Sewell as the top guy. And I like Harris Sewell, but I think in any class, Harris Sewell would be kind of your middle of the pack. Good mid four star offensive lineman. Um, and, and you would, you know, ideally have a, a couple of other guys above him. Um, so, you know, I think Texas is in that one, but I think Sewell's been fairly open about things and saying that he, he really doesn't have any leaders. Outside of him, man, they're they're going to really have to look around. Uh, there's a couple guys in state, Isaiah Robinson and Andre Kojo, that I like. I don't, you know, I think that we've still got to see how their junior seasons pan out. Um, and I think Texas could land both of them. I think they're in fine shape with both of them. But um, this is a cycle where unless a, a bunch of guys emerge this year, I see them having to go out of state. You also got TJ Shanahan, Marcus Deal. I oh, yeah, think. I forgot about Shanahan, yeah. Isaiah Kama is a guy that I don't think Texas has offered yet, but you know, there's some other guys, but they're definitely going to have to go out of state to, to grab some guys similar to how they've done with the defensive line in 2022. Um, you know, and I think they've been pretty proactive early on and you know, going after out of state guys, Caden Proctor, the number one offensive lineman in the country, just released a top schools list today with Texas in it. So, um, you know, that's a guy that they, they reached out to, you know, soon after midnight on September 1st, he had a graphic up with Texas on it. Um, so they're doing their due diligence early on. Um, and, you know, top offensive line targets, Caden Proctor is probably number one, honestly. And then uh, you're looking at in-state guys. you got Harris Sewell, TJ Shanahan for sure, uh, Marcus Steele. Um, and you just kind of look around from there and see what you need. All right. Um, our next question uh, from Triplet Joseph 44 Is Texas too far behind at this point for Denver Harris uh, to even have a real shot? Um. I think that it depends on who you talk to. I think that there are a lot of people who are assuming Denver just ends up at, at Alabama. He has been talking about committing this month, but Denver's done that in the past as well. Denver doesn't talk to anybody. And a lot of the people around Denver don't know a ton of what, about what's going on. So I don't think Texas is out of it at all. Um, I think that Denver really wanted to see a product on the field. I think that's what he's kind of watched for this month. And we'll see where things stand after a couple of games. Yeah, you know, I kind of feel that if he really felt really strong about a school at this point, he would have committed. Um, so while Alabama may be the leader, you know, he doesn't feel strong enough to commit. So, you know, Texas has a shot there still. And there's game days going on. I'm sure he'll be in College Station for the Texas A&M-Alabama game. It wouldn't surprise me to see him make a trip to Austin at some point. So until he's committed, you stay, you, you stay the course in that one. And uh, I don't think Texas is too far behind Bama because I still think they're the number two there. So. Um, we'll have to wait and see. 
All right. Our next question uh, from Orange Mamba 11 is Bryce Anderson still an option at this point to be on flip watch or are they moving on? Uh, I don't think they're moving on at all. I think the lines of communication are still very much open there. I can't tell. I mean, I Bryce went to AM last week. I, I have no reason to believe that his commitment is wavering, but I don't think that one's over. Yeah, I mean, Texas is going to stay in contact with Bryce as long as they can. And, you know, I think season performance probably plays a lot in, in, into a possible flip decision. But if I had to put like a percentage on it, I, I would say 70% chance he ends up at AM. But that's just me personally talking. All right. Um, and our last question uh, from Dr. Fogg. Uh, how do you see uh, the O-line class finish? Um, Mike said Camel and Tackle works itself out. Okay, but who do, who should they take a swing on? Take a swing on everybody. Try to get Ernest Green. Try to flip Cam Williams. Work on Kelvin Banks until the end. I think if you're asking me realistically, and I know everybody, I know everybody's panicking about O-line because it just hasn't come together like they wanted. First of all, I'll say this. It's at a terribly low bar, but this class is already better than last year's offensive line class. Um, I think they've got to add a couple more bodies, obviously, but I love Connor Robertson and Cole Hudson. I think those are two tremendous gets and probably two guys that are, in my opinion, ranked below their ability. Um, and then, you know, figure it out from there. You've, you've got guys uh, that, that can do this. You've got guys who recruit at a high level. Go take some swings. You never know what a winning season will do for you and uh, see what works out. I think if you're asking me, like I said, the most probably the most realistic finish is you add Campbell and you, you get into a, a shot with Ernest Green or you add Cam Williams in a flip or maybe both. I agree with that last part, so just consider that my answer. Um, you were talking about Cole Hudson and Connor Robertson maybe being ranked lower than their ability right now. Cole Hudson gives me big Jacob Majors vibes. How do you feel about that? Same type of kid. So, uh, absolutely same type of kid. Different players for sure. Cole's a big kid. I mean, Jake was always a little undersized. That was thing, 6'3". Cole's like almost legit 6'5", 6'6". But you're talking about two kids from basically the same neighborhood, um, two kids who are both uh, really nasty on the field, but like the nicest guys in the world when you're talking to them off of it. Great parents, love both their sets of parents. And, you know, fun fact, when Texas, when, when Cole visited, Jake Majors was his host. And I just, when they, when I heard that, I was like, that's perfect. That's, you, you found the perfect host for Cole Hudson. You know, same more so like ranking wise, Jake Majors was a top 200 guy. I think Cole is right outside of the top 300. Yeah, I think I, I, I would agree with you. I think that I actually probably like Cole's ceiling a little more, which is, is crazy because I am, I was, everybody knows I'm a huge Jake Majors guy, but Cole does play in a, in, in a wing offense. So he doesn't get to do a lot of pass blocking, although his, uh, his latest film, they threw the ball quite a bit. So I did get to see a little bit there. Um, all in all, I think I would say, I think he could probably be as high. It's hard for me to do this without having a grip on the rest of the top two, four, seven, um, like nationally, but I think he could be a guy that's in the one fifty to one to one seventy five uh, area at the end of it. You know, I think that really the challenges for him is we just don't have a lot of um, athletic context numbers and things like that on him. Yeah, and I believe that's the last one from the mailbag. That will do it, and uh, Nick, anything else to add before we get out of here? I know we had some. Uh, you're going to be working on some basketball stuff this weekend. Yeah, nothing from Charles Daniels before I get into it. Nothing. Charles did not get it in. So, dang, dang. it's all good. Uh, yeah, going to go out and see um, uh, some some basketball action on Sunday. There's some scrimmage type environment 
uh, happening at Duncanville Fieldhouse. I'm going to be seeing Richardson against Dallas Kimball. Uh, Richardson has the five-star combo guard, Kaysen Wallace, who just took an official visit to Texas last weekend. We'll have more next week on that. He's going to be playing against Texas commit and five-star point guard, Arterio Morris. So I'm really excited to see that matchup. And I'm, I'm sure Texas fans are really excited to see that one as well. Um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of teams in the, in that, um, little scrimmage type tournament as well. Amarillo is making the trip over. So be able to see a uh, small forward, Brendan Housen that I really like, you know, he's a sharp shooter type kid. He's a kid that I would love to see Texas get in on. Um, and there's going to be a, you know, a lot of good talent there on Sunday. So we'll have some more basketball stuff next week as well. All right. That's going to do it uh, for the mailbag. That's going to do it for the show. We appreciate everybody for listening. Uh, we interacting, contributing to the mailbag, all those sorts of things. Please, guys, go to our, our pages on iTunes and all that stuff and give us a five-star review and rate all that stuff. It, it really helps the show. Uh, it really helps us do what we do and put more into this. So um, I think, you know, shout out to Taylor Estes on our site who uh, has been going through some uh, some illness, not nothing serious. So don't overreact, but you know, she's been sick. Um, and, uh, she's supposed to be helping us get this thing off the ground and become a video podcast. So we promise soon this will be on the horns 24 seven, uh, network of podcasts on YouTube. And so you can see all our bright and shining faces and my messed up hair and, uh, our weird, uh, setups here that we have and watch us as I try not to uh, stare at my phone while Nick's talking and vice versa. So, um, that should be happening soon. Uh, we promise we will get there in the next couple of weeks, uh, for Nick Harris, I'm Mike Roach. We will see you guys next week.